We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today. We have two more weeks in our series we've been doing on prayer. And uh, today we're learning that prayer is meant to be a lifestyle. What we want to do is move from being fans of prayer to players. We got a number of guys in the church here that play a certain baseball statistic game. Stratomatic. Any Stratomatic players here? Oh, not going public, I see. All right. <laughs> Trust me. They're Stratomatic people. Great fans of baseball. Know all sorts of things about baseball. Doesn't mean you can play baseball. And in many ways as Christians, we become fans of faith. We like learning about it. We like hearing about it. We like sermons that help us grow in our understanding of it. We're fans of faith. We've learned a lot about prayer. We've become fans of prayer. But it doesn't matter if you're a fan. We need to be players. And so these next two weeks are about that. With all that we've learned, how do we really move it into our life so you actually become a person of prayer? Our family has a fish tank. Can't exactly do a baptism in it, but it's, <laughs> it's sizable. Uh, for a while, we couldn't keep fish alive in that tank. Every couple of weeks, we were going to the fish store, and you could see the fish swim to the back of the tanks when they saw us come in. It's like, <laughs> they're fish killers! And then we learned. <laughs> we got the temperature right, and, and, and now we have several generations. We've given fish away now. It's pretty awesome. That's got nothing to do with my illustration. This is my illustration about our fish. Um, sometimes, you know, when you're changing the water, you're taking them out, one slips off and they're sitting there flapping on the ground for a while. And they're struggling and you see their gills going. <laughs> they're out of their element, right? What you want to do is to, as quick as possible, get them into water and then they're fine. Because water is their element. So for the Christian, prayer is our element. It's not just a discipline. It's not just an act. It's our atmosphere. If you're not a praying person, you know how God sees you? Like a goldfish on our carpet doing this, struggling for air. Because you're not in your element, and your faith is not as vibrant as it should be. You're not experiencing the, the power of God, the, the confidence of God's presence in all circumstances. You're, you're like a fish out of water. If you're not enveloped in prayer, if it's not the atmosphere in which you live. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see a picture of what that life of prayer would be. We're going to begin reading at verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Today, words are going to matter. We're going to spend time digging into the Greek language here because what Paul is describing here is exactly what we're in search of. What it means to pray like 
as heirs to our body, prayers to our spirit. How do we get there? And Paul paints this beautiful picture of what that's meant to be. It's worth noting that much of the language here is in the imperative mode. What we're teaching here is God's will for us to do. It's not optional. So take this not just as a suggestion, but as a directive. And ask yourself, as you come to understand what these different phrases mean, how can I get there? Let me be this person, Lord. All right? So let's give you the context for it first. The context of this particular section is spiritual warfare. Let's back up and begin reading at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. So this section on prayer is a connection to this teaching on spiritual warfare. And what you see just quickly, first of all, he establishes the fact that our real battle is a spiritual one, not a physical or a societal or a cultural battle. And so as Christians, when we try to fight the culture battle with the tools of man, with political activity and those kind of things, we have better weapons to fight that battle. Each of these is metaphor, right? We have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. But then he continues and says, and pray. No metaphor there. So what does prayer have to do with spiritual warfare? Prayer is the power of our warfare. It's not just the weapon, it's the power behind the whole thing. We are constantly in this battle and therefore we need to be constantly connected and in our power source. So with that in mind, let's now go through four key statements and glean from it what it means to be people of prayer, to be in prayer as a lifestyle. The first thing he says is, and pray in the Spirit. How do we do this? You know, it's one of those things that some interpreted extremely supernatural and others uh, doctrinal or belief-oriented. What does it mean to be in the Spirit? The word in in Greek, and means from within or from inside. So when Paul says pray in the Spirit, he's talking about a position out of which we pray. Pray from within the Holy Spirit. There's three aspects to the Holy Spirit's ministry and work that I think creates this idea of being in the Spirit. The first, of course, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Keep your thumb on Ephesians 6. We're coming back to it. Romans chapter 8, we'll begin reading at verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then they do not belong to Christ. 
But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Just for the sake of time, go to verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. This Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. All believers have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about how to hear from God. And it's important to review that just quickly here. When you come to Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that makes that adoption into Christ possible. All believers have the Spirit. And the Spirit is a person, not a commodity, which means that you have all the Holy Spirit you will ever have. And one of the things we need to do is to learn to become comfortable and aware of the constant presence of God in our life. How many of you have been in settings where you're just overwhelmed with the sense of God's presence? Maybe in worship or in a time on your own or with family or maybe in a season of danger? Anybody ever overwhelmed with God's presence and danger? Six years ago, I've told you the story of uh, Anna, our middle girl, being in a, a very severe car accident. Well, I was driving down to visit my son, Tommy, who was at Liberty University at the time, and I was driving on, uh, in Virginia, I think it's Route 12 down there, and I got a phone call from a hospital up in northern Vermont, and she said, Mr. Spryling, where are you? I said, well, I'm driving down in Virginia. She said, is anyone with you? I said, no. She said, is there a place where you can pull over? So I pulled over, and that's when I learned that uh, Anna was, uh, we didn't know that she was going to survive. It was that severe. They were taking her into emergency surgery. And the nurse had to cut off quickly because she had to go. And I believe she cut off because Anna uh, was in trauma. And so I'm left uh, down in Virginia, my daughter up in Vermont, not knowing if she's alive, not really able to get any information. And there was only one thing I could do, (laughs) keep driving south, keep driving away from her. Because my only path home was to get down there, deliver the car to my son, and then got a plane and go back. And everything about me wanted to just turn around and drive the other way. But the best path to get home was south. And I remember being in the car, and it felt totally surreal, and it slowly began to sink in what was happening. And I had one prayer, and I said it out loud. I said, are you going to show up? And he did. He was in that car. And of course he had been there. He'd been there all along. It was no surprise to him. (laughs) He was there ready. He was there with me. But suddenly he had my attention. You see, if we just wait for those moments, we're missing out on this life of being in the presence of God. I'm going to recommend two books today. The first one is by Brother Lawrence. How many know the, the book? It's a Christian classic called Practicing the Presence of God. You'll read his experience, not just in those moments where God shows up, but how he developed a discipline, how he worked 
in order to develop the sense of God's presence. One quote, that we need only to recognize God intimately present with us to address ourselves to him every moment that we may beg his assistance for knowing his will in things doubtful and for rightly performing those which we plainly see he requires of us, offering them to him before we do them and giving him thanks when we have done. He's describing this spiritual conversation with a God who is always present, engaged in every activity. That's part of the prayer life. Listen to me. Your prayers don't go up to heaven directly. They don't need to. God is here. Your prayers are heard. When you feel like your prayers don't go as far as the ceiling, that's okay. They don't have to because God's in the room. When we're aware of that presence, it's prayer. That's just point one of point one. I gotta get going here. The presence of the Spirit. The second work of the Spirit is the filling of the Spirit. Say this with me from Ephesians chapter five. Say this good and loud. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to ruin. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, if I already have all the Holy Spirit I'm gonna have, What does it mean that I have to be filled with the Spirit? It's the misuse of that idea that plays into this idea that I'm running low on the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to get juiced up. Like I fill my car with with gas. I'm going to fill my tank with the Holy Spirit. If I already have the Holy Spirit, if He's already active, present in my life, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, that is actually about our surrendering to the Spirit. The word there for filled is also complete. It's about the Holy Spirit having complete control of me. He's contrasting the control that alcohol has on us. It goes through your system and it controls you. You're supposed to be controlled. In other words, the Holy Spirit is supposed to invade every part of your life and therefore control you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. See, being filled with the Spirit is not a question of how much of the Spirit you have. It's a question of how much of you the Spirit has. So it's about awareness of His presence. It's about surrender so that He controls every aspect of my life. And then finally, and this is beautiful, there's the intercession of the Holy Spirit. We're still in Romans 8. I want you to read with me at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, this is an amazing principle for prayer. This is the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit that happens for all of us. As I see it, nowhere in the passage is it about spiritual gifts, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, which we have varying views of in this room. As I read it, the language that says, words that cannot be uttered, speaks about a ministry of the Holy Spirit that is not from us, but is for us. The Holy Spirit taking our prayers, conforming them to God's perfect will, and bringing them before the Father. I love that thought, because you know what that means? If, If I'm living in the Spirit, if I'm filled with the Spirit, 
That means my prayer can't go wrong. I may get it wrong. What I'm asking for may not be what God wants, but my prayer is always what God wants because the Holy Spirit conforms my prayer to God's will. Isn't that incredible? Think about that. I remember when I moved from youth pastor status, when I used to go along with the senior pastor to visit people in the hospital, but he did all the praying, to being the one who in those difficult moments had to pray. And I got in the habit of actually saying in those moments, Father, I'm so grateful that as we're coming to you, we're gonna pray together as best as our hearts can understand the right path, but we're so grateful that you know exactly what the right thing is to pray. And so we're counting on that. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is gonna take this prayer and it's gonna be exactly what you need to hear and want to do. Thank you for that, Father. That's a wonderful thing. It means your prayers are always effective. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't mean that what you think God ought to do will always be done, but God will always do what exactly needs to be done according to his will for us. Takes the pressure off. Okay, that's point one. Let's uh, move through this quickly. Pray in the Spirit. The second is pray on all occasions. The word occasions also means opportunity or season or time. Here's two ways that we could look at it. We could see it as pray in every situation. Every situation is the right situation for prayer. There is never an inappropriate time for prayer. Every place is the right place. Every situation is the right situation for prayer. And if we're people of prayer, we will float into prayer as easily as we move into conversation with the people around us. How many times have you been with somebody and they may not be a Christian, but you know they're aching over something and you'd say, boy, I wish I could pray with this person. No, no, this isn't the right situation. Wrong. Pray in all situations. Don Galliard and I had a great moment a number of years ago when we were golfing and we had this uh, older gentleman as we got to know each other, we learned that he was uh, dealing with cancer. I thought about it from like the sixth hole, and I thought God was saying, pray for this guy. And I said, no, no, I don't want to offend him. It's awkward, you know, you never know. And uh, we got to the ninth hole, and I said, can we pray for you? He said, sure. And Don and I held hands with this guy, and we right there on the ninth green, while the group behind us was waiting to make their approach shot. <laughs> we prayed. We prayed for God to heal him. We prayed for him to experience God's presence. And I'd see him periodically on the course that summer, and he'd give me a little update, and I don't know what happened with him. I don't know if he's healed. I don't know if he's alive. I don't know if anything ever happened spiritually, but I know that moment was sacred. And like every other moment in our lives, there is no situation that is the wrong situation. Pray in every situation. Another way is pray in every season. Think about this. No matter how joyful or sad, easy or difficult the season, prayer is always the right response. Don't wait till, it, till it's painful or difficult. Pray in the joys. Don't wait till hardship. Pray 
when it's easy. Thank God for green pastures. If I'm a real person of prayer, it flows out of every season of my life. What's that quote? Pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. Pray until you feel like it. Right? Pray in the Spirit. Pray on all occasions. The third thing he says is pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. I want to take apart three words here so you understand this. The phrase all kinds is actually one Greek word, pause, and it means every individual part of a whole. What we're not saying is, here's a whole list of different kinds of prayers. Use all of them. Although, there are many different ways that we can approach God. And that brings me to the second book I want to recommend, Richard Foster's modern classic simply called Prayer where he lists 21 different approaches to God. There's a legitimacy to saying pray all kinds of prayers and requests, but this word means pray completely. Focus on every aspect of prayer so that you pray completely. What have we learned prayer is? It's not just throwing up our requests to God. It's not just saying thanks for the food or Lord help our meeting to go well. It's Relationship, our Father in heaven. Prayer is commitment. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see what I'm saying? I think that Paul is as much saying, pray well. Pray completely. Focus on all the ways that our Lord taught us to pray. Pray with a focus on every individual part of the whole. Pray all kinds of, and then he lists two different types. The first is prayers. And then the second is requests. The Greek word for prayer means exchanging our wishes and will for God's wishes and will, which is very interesting, isn't it? We've learned through our study that prayer is much more about God changing us than about us changing God's mind. And how interesting that the word itself here for prayer suggests that very thing. Especially when paired with this word request as an alternative, I think that plays very well here. So one part of effective prayer is looking for God to work in our heart to conform our wants in every circumstance to His wants. But then there is also our request, and the Greek word there means our heartfelt needs. So in our prayer, we're listening for God's will, but then also trusting, as we're being conformed to that, that we can bring our requests to Him with all fervency and confidence. And we can share our heart's desires, casting our cares on Him, as as Peter says, because He cares for you. I love that play on words here. We need to recognize that we can't just pick and choose Prayer is a much bigger thing. We know that now. Let's do our due diligence and pray well. Pray for God's fame and His glory and His will, even as we pray for our needs and confess our sins. Okay, fourth, pray alert and always. And that's persevering in prayer. Prayer, first of all, is a constant attitude. We are to go about our lives in an ongoing state of spiritual awareness and prayer. What would that be like? If you got to the point where 
your whole life was lived with this sense that God's present. God's aware of what I'm experiencing. He's aware of what's going on. And my interaction with him is as natural as his presence. When I have found that stride, that groove spiritually, where I am tracking, I'm working, I'm sitting at my desk, I'm driving, I'm interacting with people, but I'm just aware that God's in it. My prayer life is very different. I feel like I've prayed all day, even if I've never gotten on my knees. Because I'm in this communion with God. It's this constant attitude, not just an action. That leads us back to this analogy that I began our sermon with. Prayer is spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing. In the same way, most of us don't have to think twice about breathing. How many times have you breathed since my sermon? Who's been counting? You don't think about it, but you've breathed the whole time. Prayer is that for us. It should just come natural. It's my environment, and I'm breathing in the presence of God and exhaling my heart to Him. Breathing in the presence of God, exhaling my circumstances, my heart, my thoughts, my situations. You say, Tom, I don't know if I can do that. You absolutely can. You know how I know that? Because all of you have a voice in your head. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, all right. And you know what, those of you that say you don't, right now are listening to that voice in your head saying, don't admit it! (laughs) We're all carrying on a conversation with ourselves. That's the natural man. You know what that means about that voice in your head? It lies. It's lying to you right now. Saying, no, I'm not lying. It lies. That's why you jump to all the conclusions in your relationships and think you got everything figured out. And instead of just talking to people about what's going on, you judge them. It's that voice in your head is telling you all the things you need to know. It lies. And it's as ignorant as you are, by the way. We're all ignorant of things. That's all I meant. Yeah. So if that's there, don't you think in the same way we can develop that sense of God's presence and be listening for that? Of course we can. We need to do that. Spiritual breathing involves being aware of God's presence and intimate knowledge of us. Just get over it. He knows it all. (laughs) You're not hiding any of it. All the crap and all the glory. You know, he's there in all of it. Surrender to it. Accept his unconditional love about it. And then think about this. What would it be like if you were able to live in this state of prayer so that every thought, every conversation, every decision, every celebration is a prayer? What would that be like? That would be you in your natural element. That would be you connected to what you need for life. That would be you connected to the relationship for real, not just symbolically, that you were created. It would transform you. And that's our only hope for transforming Worcester, the path to the mission of God always runs right through the people of God. It has always been, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face. 
Then I'll hear, I'll forgive their sins, and I'll heal their land. Let's admit it. We gotta get into our environment. You need to become this, I need to become this. Let's do it together. That's what this verse says. Say it with me. I'm gonna encourage you to memorize this verse. I I know, it's really hard. (laughs) It's one of those long ones. Look at it and say it. Never stop praying. Close your eyes and say it. Never stop praying. That wasn't so hard. Father, thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, the incredible ministry that the Holy Spirit conforms our prayers to your will, which is always what's best. And what we learned from Jesus is that we want what you want. Your will be done. Forgive us for being fish out of water, for thinking that we cannot be engulfed in the presence of God and in this conversation of our hearts, this spiritual breathing. Forgive us for thinking we can thrive in life, let alone in our walk with you. And Father, put us deep in it. Put us deep in your presence, Father. Help us never stop praying. Help us to call that out of each other. And then, Father, as you change us, change this city in Jesus' name. Amen.